there. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach. my husband Zach here, and we are studying with you today our episode 44 in Mormon. We're starting a new book today. We're going to be studying chapters 1 through 7. The Book of Mormon in the Book of Mormon. There you go. Um, we're excited for this block. We're excited because uh, this is the this is the namesake of the book that we've spent this entire year studying. And I, now, I know now it's kind of, what would you call it? I was going to say cliche, but that's not the word. Kind of taboo. What's the word? <laughs> kind of so 2015, wait, 2017 to call yourself a Mormon. Yeah, early 2008. Well, <laughs> interesting that we were, when we originally planned this episode, the title of the episode, the proposed title we were going to call it was I'm a Mormon. And it was all going to be about how we should be proud that we're named after this man, Mormon. Now, of course, with the... Uh, President Nelson's re-emphasis of the name of the church, which is wonderful and totally appropriate. We're not going to title this episode, I'm a Mormon. However, it doesn't erase the fact that Mormon was an incredible person and that we can learn a lot about him and come to love our membership in the church and our relationship with the Savior by studying his life. And the fact that, obviously, he plays a very integral role in of the keystone of our religion, the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. And I think this is going to be really fun. I have personally been excited about learning about it, maybe from Zach a little more. Sorry to put you on the spot, but it's true. I am just excited to learn more about this person and really kind of come to know him better. So our study tip for today is about um, how we phrase our teaching it is sometimes common and, and an easy temptation to fall into in teaching youth or in teaching teens to use principles in a somewhat negative fashion, almost where we teach uh, teach children to obey or else. For example, discussions about the law of chastity or about the word of wisdom uh, a lot of times have a very negative feeling to them. If you don't do this right, then this will happen. If you don't do this right, then this will happen. And as I studied the scriptures, I found that um, even though there are scriptural, plenty of scriptural evidences where scriptural authors use negative examples to illustrate the pain and the suffering that comes from disobeying commandments, I found that the most motivating way to study scripture, both for me and in teaching it to other people, is when I try and teach it positively. For example, this week I studied a block with, with students on the second coming, and there's a lot. It's section 29 of the Doctrine and Covenants, and there's a lot in there about uh, the second. There's a verse in there that talks about the second coming, that our eyes will fall from our sockets and our flesh will melt from our bones and will be infested by flies. You could look at that and say, see, if you don't prepare for the second coming, your eyes are going to fall from your sockets. That's a really negative way to teach the block. <laughs> However, the first six or seven verses in that block are all about the Savior gathering his people like a hen gathers her chickens. And so instead of focusing on the eyes falling from sockets, we focused instead on who it is that's coming at the second coming. It's this God that loves and gathers his people. And instead of being terrified about your eyes falling out of your sockets, 
let's be excited that the gatherer is coming back to the earth. And the feeling in class was very different. It wasn't one of fear. In fact, I told my students at the end of the lesson today, my goal is for you to leave, and the next time you hear second coming, for you to be excited, not afraid. And the feeling in class was very different as we focused on the positive, on who God is and how much he loves them, and on what they can positively, proactively do to feel more of that love instead of just what they shouldn't do. I do remember now, this was a conversation. We kind of were talking about this as a potential teaching tip or study tip because I think sometimes we have a lot of misconceptions about a lot of the quote-unquote rules that we follow um, as members of the church, whether that's the law of chastity or um, modesty or... Um, the word of wisdom, I think, was the conversation we were specifically having. And a lot of times it just does become that list that becomes maybe, you know, out of fear. We don't really, we don't study as much those, like all of the promises that are given to us in, in doctrine and covenants with the word of wisdom that are so powerful and maybe even more motivating than some of those. And I think it was, I think it was what you said, um, was that you teach out of love, not out of fear. Mm -hmm. And I think generally speaking, I mean, obviously, like you said, there are some times when, when God is, you know, speaking in condemnation in some parts of the scripture. But I think generally that's, that's what we, we feel from him is that teaching out of love, or at least that's what, I don't know, what do we, what we want to feel? Yeah. And especially as we teach, as we teach the youth, I think that's important to give them that, that message of love. All right. Well, to begin our study today, I don't know if anyone out there is as big a Studio C fans as our family has become. It's interesting because our kids and almost every Studio C saying, dad, that on vacation in Florida and someone really did say that. Someone really believed it. Yeah. So, um, and I was like, what? That we can only wear black. (laughs) that we aren't allowed to eat pickles, um, that we uh, can't eat chocolate-covered raisins, that we're not allowed to dance. Um, Wait, where did you get all these? Just a collection. I just add to this list every year of different things <laughs> I've heard from people or different things I read on the internet. That we can't drink juice, um, that we're baptized in pits of snakes, and if we're bitten, we're not worthy to enter the church. Um, we had... Um, this was on my mission, but that my companion and I were driving down the road and we saw this guy walking on the street. So we parked our car and got out of our car and talked to him. And before we'd even started, he waves his hands in front. He says, no, no, no. I know who you guys are. You guys are those people. You're, you're Mormons, right? We said, yes. If it was today, we'd say, if you are referring to whether or not we're members of the church of Jesus Christ, then yes, we are. But he said, are you Mormons? We said, yes. He's like, I know all about you. You guys are the ones that don't believe in anything like modern. And he had just watched us get out of our car. And we looked back at our car. We looked at him and we said, no, we, we do. And he's like, no, no, no. I, I saw this on TV. I saw a documentary. You guys don't believe in anything modern. like you're." And so we pulled out like our cell phone and our watch and pointed back to the car. We're like, how do you explain all this? He, and he was kind of puzzled. And he goes, well, I guess there must be different kinds of Mormons. And we said, yeah, I guess there are. <laughs> well, I don't know if I should explain this here because no one cares maybe, but that was kind of funny because they did in Germany while we were on our mission, they had a, an actual TV special that was all about Amish people, but they called the Mormons during the whole thing. 
And so we got multiple people saying the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, like, we oh, Amish. I know you. This is what you, it's like, no, yeah, that's not us. So that's um, maybe something that you're aware of. If you're a member of the church and you're listening to this, you've dealt with that before. And I have to say those were extreme examples, but there's a lot of funny things that we actually do yeah. that <laughs> are kind of interesting to other people. Uh-huh. <laughs> so those are funny, weird, extreme ones, but we also have a lot that yeah that are true. Um. So, and I think that's part of the the motivation, part of the reason why President Nelson has asked us to um, re-emphasize and even insist on the fact that we are Latter-day Saints and that we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ. Well, what we want to do in this episode is talk about the man behind the book. If you think about it, Mormon, uh, perhaps more than just about any other prophet, has more to do with doctrine and principle that we teach and learn in the church than uh, than just about anybody. Um, if you think about modern prophets and apostles, they quote from the Book of Mormon. And even though we have different authors in the Book of Mormon, Nephi and, and Alma and Jacob, Mormon's the one that decides that they're in there. He's the one that takes their sermons and puts them in and provides the narration that surrounds it. And so for 470 or 80 pages, he's been our tour guide through Nephite history and through this, this doctrines and principles that these prophets are teaching. And so I think Mormon's been kind of an invisible character. You even mentioned that we don't learn a lot about him like we do about Nephi or Captain Moroni because there's not a lot written about him, but he's been behind the scenes for everything. Yeah, we see these people. I mean, I really can envision Nephi as a person Mm -hmm. and Alma and Captain Moroni, and you see them. They're very visible characters. But then you look at Mormon, who, like you said, is so influential and doing so much I don't know. You can't really grasp. Like, mm-hmm. what is he like? What does he do? And that's one reason I was excited for this episode to really dig into that of of who he is and maybe gain a better understanding of of the importance of what he did for us and, and I think, for the book. And I think the reason why we want to do that, the, why it matters to us, isn't just, of course, an appreciation for an ancient uh, Nephite prophet, but I think understanding who Mormon is and the time and place in which he lived will help us understand ourselves better. Uh, He is a disciple of Christ, and we are disciples of Christ. Whether we're called Mormons or whether we're called Latter-day Saints, we are all of us Christians, and we all follow the Savior. And he's a prime example of someone that chooses to follow the Savior, even though every single odd is stacked against him. So the question we asked about him is just, what what do we learn about him from these seven chapters, these chapters where he puts in his kind of autobiography that makes you appreciate him and learn maybe how to be a better Christian in tough times. Well, we're just going to start at the beginning. The Book of Mormon, we have first off Mormon making a record of what he's seen and heard, he says in verse one. Um, And he says, starting in verse two, and about that time that Amaron hid up the records unto the Lord, he came unto me. He said, I being 10 years of age, and I began to be learned somewhat after the manner of the learning of my people. And Amaron said unto me, I perceive that thou art a sober child and art quick to observe. Now, he doesn't say many things to describe his personality, but he does use this word sober another time in, in verse 15. When he's 15 years of age and being somewhat of a sober mind, therefore I was visited of the Lord and tasted and knew of the goodness of Jesus. It's 
kind of a fun way to describe his conversion process, don't you think? Mm -hmm. I knew of the goodness of Jesus. Tasted of the goodness of Jesus. Tasted of the goodness of Jesus. I like that. So I just wanted to, we've all known the sobriety, sober. What does this, you know, what does this word really mean? Um, and I liked some of these synonyms for this word. Um, practicality, self-control, um, level-headedness. And you can kind of see that if you're going to entrust a 10-year-old, you want them to be a little bit level-headed. I think I like that one the most. But just kind of envisioning what he was and what made um, Amaron come to him as a 10-year-old and ask him to do something like this. It's kind of fun to think about. Yeah. The phrase quick to observe stands out too. That yeah. One of the hallmarks that makes Mormon kind of uniquely situated to be this author of Scripture is that he's sober, meaning he can perceive and see what's around him and be able to express it with gravity and with solemnity. But he's quick to observe. He also is able to see through things. Mormon's favorite phrase in the Book of Mormon, of course, is, and thus we see. In every story, in every lesson, there's a moral, there's a principle behind it. And so what you get in the Book of Mormon isn't just this rich, contoured, detailed depiction of Nephite history, which you do get, it's woven. Everything in there is deliberately put there. And I love that about the Book of Mormon. I think we mentioned that in our introductory episode, that yeah. there's there's purpose behind this book like no other book of Scripture. Mormon has taken this book and crafted it. Each story, whether he told it in the language or the words of the, the author himself, like he does in First and Second Nephi, or whether he narrates the story, there's there's a specific purpose and reason for every single thing that's in the Book of Mormon. Um, and I love, so So that is interesting about him, that yeah, soberness and, and that. It's just fun to, to I think, it. think of him as a young person. And then in the beginning of verse two, he, he talks about, you know, this war is beginning. And he says, notwithstanding, I being young and was large in stature, therefore the people of Nephi appointed me that I should be their leader or the leader of their armies. And that in and of itself also, he's young, he's large in stature. So he's not just, you know, and they he says here that they appointed him to be the leader, you know, he makes it sound like just because he was large in stature. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you kind of also have to think of those other things that would have made them say, you're the guy that we want to trust. To a 15-year-old. Right, that we want to trust and that we want to help be, be the one to captain. help us. Yeah. Well, that's actually what I found and where I picked up mine was uh, something I'd seen as I read about Mormon that I've never seen before is... I felt this connection between Mormon and the other major characters in the Book of Mormon generally that I hadn't seen before. So that phrase in chapter 2, verse 1, where Mormon says he was large in stature, um, reminds me, and maybe reminds you too, of the way that Nephi describes himself. If you remember the very beginning of the Book of Mormon, Nephi describes himself uh, in chapter in chapter three is being large, young, nevertheless being large in stature. And he describes himself later on as being a man large in stature. And we had that great study when we were in, in first Nephi about how he became a man. But that phrase large in stature is put here again deliberately, I think, so that you can see that the reason Mormon puts the story of Nephi in there is because he sees in the story of Nephi something that connects to him. And it made me think, more personally about the story of Nephi, um, 
is this my story? How can I, can I look at Nephi's story? Can I look at Mormon's story? And as I read them on my own, can I see myself as Nephi or Mormon? Are there things in there that I can identify with that make these scriptures come alive? In chapter 4, verse 12, Mormon starts to chronicle the downfall of his people. He says, There had never been so great wickedness among all the children of Lehi, nor even among the house of Israel, according to the words of the Lord, as he was among this people. Uh, he writes a couple of other verses in that same vein, that they never they stop winning their battles. They won't win any more battles. They turn away from God, and there had never been a more wicked people. Well, what that reminded me of was in the story of Captain Moroni, back in Alma chapter 50, verse 23, and we read this when we did this episode, but behold, there never was a happier time among the people of Nephi since the days of Nephi than in the days of Moroni. So again, I think Mormon's looking back at the story of Captain Moroni. Why choose that story? Because here's someone that he identifies with, a captain who's in charge of the Nephite army against overwhelming odds. This time, the reason he likes it is because in his story, everything is tragic. But in Moroni's story, everything is is wonderful because they trust in the Lord and the Lord fights their battles for him. And again, it made me think, what's my connection to that story? Can I, can I see myself in the story of Moroni? And can I see myself here in the story of Mormon? And then the last one that I found is uh, in chapter 3, verse 13, Mormon serves as a Christ type. He says in verse 13, And thrice have I delivered them, meaning the Nephites, out of the hands of their enemies, and they have repented not of their sins. And then in verse 20, These things doth the Spirit manifest unto me, therefore I write unto you all. And for this cause I write unto you, that you may know that you must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, yea, every soul who belongs to the whole human family of Adam. And you must stand to be judged of your works, whether they be good or evil. Of course, the reason to put the story of the Savior in the Book of Mormon is because that's the crowning event of all Nephite history. But I also wonder if Mormon looks at the Savior and can relate there as well as uh, someone who loves his people. And you see that as you read these first seven chapters, that Mormon Mm -hmm. loves his people and he wants to save them and he's unable to do so. And how that must have increased his gratitude for the Savior who is able to transcend those bounds and save save us, even maybe when we don't want to be saved. You do really feel that, I think, from him, is that love that he shows in that verse that you read right above it. Um, he says, I had led them in verse, so this is chapter 3, verse 12. I had led them many times to battle and had loved them according to the love of God, which was in me with all my heart. Mm. And my soul had been poured out in prayer unto my God all the day long for them. Um, Anyway, that's just one of the examples I feel like of throughout the book of him just kind of expressing his lamenting of how things are going. What's interesting as I think about this is all three of these major themes or major character types in the Book of Mormon, Nephi, Moroni and the Savior, all three of whom Mormon reemphasizes in his own story, all three of them are these kind of tragic figures that are faced with overwhelming odds and uh, an incredible attacking enemy army. And yet, whether they're successful or not, and sometimes they are, Captain Moroni was, Nephi wasn't really, and Mormon definitely isn't, all three of whom, however, 
are able to be assured in their conviction uh, in Christ. One of my favorite phrases that Mormon puts in here in chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, he mentions that on the plates of Nephi, he doesn't make a full account of all of the wickedness and abominations. But on these plates, I do forbear to make a full account. For behold, a continual scene of wickedness and abominations has been before my eyes ever since I have been sufficient to behold the ways of man. That's what Mormon sees. That's his life. But verse 19 is, I think, the thread that ties Nephi and Moroni and, of course, the Savior and now here Mormon together. And maybe the lesson for us. Woe is unto me because of their wickedness. For my heart has been filled with sorrow because of their wickedness all my days. Nevertheless, I know that I shall be lifted up at the last day. That undergirding and sometimes even overriding optimism that God is in charge and I trust him to save my soul uh, is a powerful thing that I think keeps people uh, going in times of trial. In our next episode, we'll talk about Mormon son Moroni, who likewise has a pretty ugly story to tell and we'll study his account and what truths he clings to that make him able to survive rough times. But as you're listening to this and as you're studying these chapters, maybe that's a thought that comes into your mind of what are the what are the scenes of wickedness or abominations that are have been before your eyes, past, present, and, and potentially future? And can we learn a lesson from Mormon on how to cling to our relationship with God and his ability to save us as something that keeps us afloat when it seems like we're about to drown. Yeah, and as we think about this, I just think how much, what a weight he had and how many, what he did was putting this together, not only writing these chapters, but also in preserving and keeping the record mm-hmm. um, and piecing it together for us. And he understood that. Yeah. He understood what that he was, you know, he talks about that in verse, um, in chapter seven, that he he knew what he was, what his mission was and how important it was. And I, I find that really just kind of cool to think about. Yeah. It's his, his storyline, the storyline of Mormon, I think is fascinating that here he is at age 10, like you read where Amaron yeah. comes to him and and trusts him with the knowledge of where the plates are. He's put as chief captain of the Nephites at age 15. 16, he begins to lead him into battle. He'll have this back and forth with the Nephite army where at one point he'll refuse to be their leader anymore because they're so wicked. And then he can't help it. Out of love for his people, he accepts the leadership role again. Uh, and pretty soon after that, mentions that they never win another battle because they continually put their trust in their own uh, he mentions in there kind of sadly that this isn't ignorance that the Nephites have like it has been in the past. They willfully rebel against God. They have chosen to trust their own selves and chosen pride and secret combinations rather than choosing the Savior. And so he has this life that's filled with, with, with I don't know, never-ending sorrow and disappointment. And his source of solace and comfort is by turning to these records, these Nephite records, and finding the Nephites and the Captain Moroni's and the Almas and the Jacobs, because those are stories for him that of hope. And the story that's most hopeful is that these prophets teach about Christ. And so, hence the Book of Mormon being the most Christ-centered of all scriptures, because it's written by people who are facing difficult things, edited 
and compiled by a man who's facing the entire destruction of his people. And the story they choose to tell over and over is that God can save us and that Christ is powerful and that we can love him and that he loves us. I think that puts a really personal, personal touch on it when you think that Mormon was using these stories to gain hope and to, to build mm-hmm. his faith in Christ. And that's why he wanted us to be reading them. Yeah. Well, at the very end of his writings, this is chapter 6, he says some verses that are pretty iconic and well-known ascribed to him, but I love them because here, perhaps more than anywhere else in the whole Book of Mormon, I sense emotion. You can feel Mormon's, um, his plead and his cry. He knows at this point that his people will never recover. But he also knows that the record he's writing will be read by their descendants, by the modern-day descendants of Lehi, and that they'll be read by us, who he refers to as Gentiles. And that we, um, as whether we're descendants of Lehi or whether we're we're, uh, Europeans, I think is who he's referring to as Gentiles, whoever we are, that we will have this book in our hands and that we'll be able to... uh, hear about this this message of Christ. And so I read these verses with a sense that he's calling into the future and calling to us. So it starts in chapter 6, verse 17, well, verse 16. My soul was rent with anguish because of the slain of my people. He's just witnessed this uh, battle at Camorra where 230,000 Nephites die. And he says, O ye fair ones, how could you have departed from the ways of the Lord? O oh, ye fair ones, how could you have rejected that Jesus who stood with open arms to receive you? Verse 19, O oh, ye fair sons and daughters, ye fathers and mothers, ye husbands and wives, ye fair ones, how is it that you could have fallen? And then verse 22, O oh, that you had repented before this great destruction had come upon you. But behold, you are gone, and the Father, yea, the eternal Father of heaven, knoweth your state, and he doeth with you according to his justice and mercy. And then, in chapter 7, verse 9, this, the second to last verse that he writes, one of the last things he writes, For behold, this is written for the intent that you, meaning us, his modern-day readers, whether we're descendants of Lehi or not, you, as modern-day readers, believe that, meaning believe Christ. And if you believe that, you will believe this also. And if you believe this, you will know concerning your fathers and also the marvelous works which were wrought by the power of God among them. I love Mormon. I, I love his willingness Uh, to be brave in the face of overwhelming depression, Um, his willingness to cling to his God and the hope and the comfort that gives me when I'm going through difficult things that are nowhere near perhaps as overwhelming as his were, but maybe feel that way to me sometimes. I think he's such an incredible example of what it looks like and feels like to believe in and cling to a, a God that can save us. We are so grateful for the Book of Mormon. We're grateful for Mormon and all that he wrote. And we're also grateful to be able to share this with you and be a part of your study. Um, We hope that you will 
share this podcast with other people if it has been helpful to you. We're so grateful to hear people sharing and recommending the podcast and helping us to grow this little study space together. Um, we don't, I don't ask for this very much because I am not, uh, I'm about the worst marketing person you will ever meet in your life. But I just want to say that if you will have enjoyed our podcast, would you please leave us a review, even a five star or whatever star you think we deserve. Um, it just helps people be able to find the podcast and hopefully spread this message of the Book of Mormon and also Mormon and his his work that he put um, into getting this book into our hands today that we're so grateful for. So thank you. We hope you have a great week and thank you for listening. <laughs>